Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of The Safety Brief. Today we have Tanner and Matt joining in on the conversation. As always, thank you both for taking the time to be here today. Thank you. Always. <laughs> so previously we touched on phishing red flags during Cybersecurity Awareness Month uh, back in October. However, today we wanted to dive a little bit deeper and even look at some examples. With the holidays, I'm sure everyone's emails have been flooded. So let's start the discussion off with this. From your professional perspective, what signs raise concerns about phishing emails? For instance, like identifying unknown senders or misspellings and so on. Pretty much anything from the United States Postal Service. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> that That is pretty bad. I'm pretty sure we used that as an example previously. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, as it relates to spoofing, it. a lot of people fall victim to spoofing because you have, when you're not, like you were saying, Elizabeth, one of those examples um, that you used is um, the unknown sender. So you have that unknown sender. Some people see a domain and think, well, that's, you know, that is what it is. That's USPS. Um, and oftentimes there's, there's hidden language in those domains or the user is not a valid user um, and those are spoofed. Um, that that's not the only thing but oftentimes spoof senders unless somebody's compromised um you're not going to get a phishing email intentionally from from somebody um on a domain that you know and knowing who that sender is through and through from the user to the domain um being able to validate that and have an understanding of who you expect to be talking to um it is huge in recognizing phishing especially with nothing in place so I'm going to give you guys a little example. Show and tell time. Okay? Ready? Ready? You probably can't read that, yeah, but fishing. see the see the nice link right there? Yeah. So this says, the USPS package arrived at the warehouse but could not be delivered due to incomplete address information. Please confirm your address in the link, which was usps-delay.top. Yeah. Please reply why, then exit the text message and exit again to activate the link. Okay, this is common. So my response back to them was, I didn't know the USPS operated in Thailand. I mean, if you're going to send me something from a, from a phone number, I'm going to break it apart and find where you are. And then, well, let's just say you may or may not be receiving nonstop cat facts. Yeah. And now. not to dumb it down too much, but I mean, really, if you don't have the knowledge or capability or tools to figure out where, I mean, they're public, you can get them anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But, but say that's not your thing. Say looking, looking that stuff up isn't your thing. Um, like I said, not to dumb it down, but if you, if you don't know or aren't expecting a package, that doesn't apply to you. Yeah, this you know, is that's, commonplace during this time of year because so many people are just mass shipping. I mean, I can tell you that is true. my front porch just, it honestly looks like an Amazon distribution house right now because of how much junk shows up each day. Yeah. I have boxes upon boxes sitting in my hallway that are not mine. They belong to, uh, to somebody else in my house, but I'm not aware that they are actually showing up. I'm not aware if we have stuff showing up from UPS, UPS, FedEx, because you don't always get notifications for that. So when you do get a notification, it's, oh, God, what, what isn't showing up that, you know, that might be urgent? It plays on your emotions. 
and that's a common tactic. And it's the same thing that we saw with uh, with COVID. It's the same thing we see with uh, the flu. I mean, people exploit the same thing. They send out, you know, emails saying, um, you know, there's an uptake in infections pertaining to the common cold or, or the flu or influenza type A, type B, whatever it is. Um, you know, click this link to schedule an appointment now to, to get your flu shot. People still don't realize you don't have to schedule an appointment. Just walk into a CVS or a Walgreens and have them jab you in the arm. Yeah. I mean, that's an easy way to get people to, you know, fall victim to drive-by downloads or phishing. And I think that's another piece of phishing, too, is like the the way that the attacker would make it sound, right? There's always an urgency. There's always an importance. Um, oftentimes, there could be a threat involved. Um, and uh, not to pick on the older folks, but when most of the time that scares people right technology scares people in general but when you have somebody reaching out to you over technology saying hey this is going to happen if you don't do this they're like i said our, our older generation for the most part not solely them but i mean you can you can fall victim pretty fast when you don't understand um what can and cannot be done over the phone like that um, and or over the email yeah pretty much i'm gonna see if i can actually get this to work I'm just morbidly curious here really fast. If I do a preview of it, will it actually come up? It will. Okay. That's cool. So that website that I went to, you probably can't see it too clearly, but if I do the preview, all you do is long click on a link and it'll bring up a preview pane. It doesn't open the web page, but it gives you a preview of it. It flat tells me it can't open a secure connection to the website. Well, guess what? USPS, they have a, they have a secure website. It doesn't yeah. doesn't go down. Yeah, I mean, not very often, unless it's attacked by script kiddies doing a DDoS attack. But that hasn't happened in a few years. To conclude, Elizabeth, honestly, I think as it relates to your question, there's many things you can look at. For starters, it's definitely going to be that sender. How, how were you expecting something from that sender, and are they valid? Mm -hmm. um, if you can't validate the sender, uh, there's a number of different things you can do. Just looking at the body of that text, that smishing smishing message that's a tough one um or or the email the phishing email right and just seeing that looking at the text and deciding do i really need this does this even pertain to me mm -hmm. um and then also those those threats the urgency um are you even involved in anything that is that urgent right a lot of times those urgent ones are going to be banking and you know is it your bank are you i bank with u.s bank maybe right and u.s bank isn't sending me this well then it you don't need to open that, right? Regardless of urgency. So US Bank also, well, actually, most institutions will not send you something that requires you to provide any account information via text. They already have it. Yeah, they they have it. If anybody ever calls you or ever does anything and they say, Well, we need you to give us the credit card number, um, yeah, you work at the bank. You can it's, validate validate last there. four. Yeah, but, validate yeah. last four, and that's that's all you have to do. Um, which is actually kind of funny because if they are trying to get your credit card number, they more than likely only have the last four yep. because they found a receipt or something else laying around or, you know, had access to someplace that had purchases going through and they're just funneling off of that. Absolutely. You know, that's something that we also brought up um, back in October was, you know, banking um, 
institutes and things of that nature are never going to ask you for more than the last four or the last few numbers of your account and so on and so forth. And we did give some more information on that, on how you can, you know, call your bank from the number that you have. Um, I think Matt brought up a good point um, back in the day on making, having them make a note in your account and then calling the person you know at that location to ensure that you're speaking to the actual location that you're intending to speak to. Um, I think it's also really important to be able to use that discernment, um, be able to look at the text message or the email or whatever it is, maybe a phone call and say, do I know this number? Do I know this domain? Who is this person? You know, um, it's okay to snoop. Don't be afraid to try to figure out who Brenda is and why she's asking me for my personal information. So definitely don't just give information out. It's, it's your information and, you know, you've got to use that discernment to protect it. So prior to kicking off the examples we prepared today, could you share some key recommendations to steer clear of phishing attempts? Don't use email. <laughs> a little that harder. Might be a tough one. Might yeah. be a little bit extreme. <laughs> but... That might be a tough one nowadays. But I mean, you're not wrong. You're going to eventually you will maybe not fall victim, but you will be susceptible to receiving that type of mail. They um, blast pretty much every email that they can possibly think of. In and any it's way, getting worse. Form. It's getting worse and worse too because of the mm -hmm. way we operate online, right? You need your email to log in, have an account, access anything uh, yep. nowadays. And so, as soon as you do that, you never know what are in those terms and conditions. They could be turning around and selling that, right? It's not your password. It's not your social. They can give your emails public. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as it as soon as it gets plugged into one of those sites, you never know what. I'm not going to say everybody's doing that, but. Um, I mean, the amount of times you punch in an email to 30 sites in a day, um, or you have all these new accounts, I mean, you're giving that information to them just by signing up. If you and... want peace of mind, one of the easiest things that you can do is have a burner email, something that you use purely to log into sites that you are buying things from, et cetera. Um, one of the, one of the things that I've actually done and I've gotten to the point of doing is I buy a domain that I don't care about and then I create an email address that I don't care about. Then I have a password uh, program like Bitwarden that will keep the passwords for me so I don't have to remember them. And if I need to update them, like if they prompt me to update when I log in, it automatically will allow me to update it in the program. So once I go through and do the registration, and I've used enough or I've logged into what I consider to be enough websites with that email address, delete the email address. Can't get spam if the email doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, I practice the same thing as well. I, I have my personal, my work email and, and so on. And not to sound like a broken record, because we have brought that up quite often. Um, but I mean, the emails are free as well um, mm -hmm. on certain uh, you know, platforms, not to plug anyone here, but um, it is free and I have, you know, a work one, a school one, professional, of course, I keep all my, my banking and like private things on a more secure email that I don't share publicly. Um, and even just my professional email, just because I'm on LinkedIn and so on, I've gotten spam just from being on LinkedIn. So, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to even keep your clean emails clean. 
you mean that uh, when, when you're talking about your spam from LinkedIn, you're not talking about the people that send a connection request and instantly try to like get you to buy their products, right? Oh yeah, that's every day. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I was special. Never mind. <laughs> Alrighty, Tanner, uh, if you want to go ahead and throw up the examples, we can start breaking those yeah. down. I will warn any audio listeners at this part of the stream, it may be a little visual heavy. So we would recommend watching this part of the stream uh, via video. Uh, this can be found at the BlockWorks YouTube, Twitch, or LinkedIn page for viewing. All right, go ahead and take it away. All right, can you guys see it okay? Looks good. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so like Elizabeth was saying, we uh, we've put together a, a few examples here. Um, these examples are going to come directly out of uh, the security tool called Avanon that we leverage for SCUD here uh, within BlockWorks. Um, the data that you will find in these emails um, are the same as the data you would find in Office 365, Gmail, um, Yahoo, AOL, if you're still using that for some reason, um, all of these are, um, all, all of this data that you're seeing is, it's public data as soon as you receive an email. Um, so we'll start with, uh, with a phishing email here. Um, like I said, don't worry about the graphics behind this. Um, this is just simply how certain data is ingested for us. Um, it has been scrubbed, obviously, but uh, what we're looking at here is um, an email, an inbound email that came in um, a deemed phishing. So Microsoft Defender, uh, you can see on the right-hand side there, we have our security stack. Microsoft Defender had called this phishing, gave it a, an SEL of five. Um, it was marked, by, marked as spam by the spam filtering, but ult ultimately became phishing. Avanon, the tool that we're leveraging here for SCUD, also deemed this phishing. Um, there's a little bit more of a breakdown as to why. Um, however, this is not the most end user friendly piece of information we have here. What we're going to be focusing on for this slide is specifically this email profile here. Everything you see within this email profile is what you would find in Outlook or Gmail, like I was saying before. Um, so up top, we just have the message with the subject, your Amazon.com. Already um, off the start here, Amazon.com, your Amazon.com as a subject line. Um, grammatically incorrect um, because your Amazon.com is not a thing. Um, you might have an Amazon cart, um, et cetera. But if you look at the from section here, we have a sender name of Amazon, just Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, very generic, um, broad. Um, and then the domain that is attached here to the actual user who sent the message. So Amazon is the name. We have a user obviously sanitized uh, for privacy purposes, but the domain that sent the message, um, I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce this, but um, you can clearly see um, by just looking at who sent this message, that is not amazon.com. Um, Amazon's domain is Amazon. And uh, so again, just some pretty basic information, but a lot of times overlooked, right? Uh, what, what may seem important um, based on your amazon.com um, is not not as important as you would think um, specifically due to the person behind the message um, there's a little bit of extra information here sometimes we can get a reply to 
Um, when that is different, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later, but when that is different, there's uh, obviously more to be looked at there, uh, not just who the sender is, but where it's gonna go uh, after you respond. Um, the content type is text. Um, that again is gonna be specific to the security tool we're looking at, uh, but anybody can look at a message and determine whether or not there's gonna be an embedded attachment, um, a URL that they can click on, all of that can pop up in the content. This one was specifically text. Um, and if we look down a little further, we can also see uh, the sender is external. So these, again, are things that Avanon is um, putting together to then push out for investigation. However, any sender sitting in Outlook inbox can take a look at that and see that sender is external. So it's not within your organization's domain, the domain they were sending to. Um, any recipient is external. No. So they sent this only internal to the domain um, that is present on your email address. And any recipient is internal yes obviously you are you are sitting within the organization so um, just for starters there and to tie in a little bit to what we we talked about uh, specific to this slide that email profile and looking at the message um, in outlook uh, you can see that the name obviously of amazon just a little skewed um, probably not going to be how amazon's going to address themselves um, the domain that it's coming from has nothing to do with amazon and then your subject line is just grammatically incorrect, right? It doesn't make any sense. Um, we're not we're not uh, inquiring about your Amazon.com. Um, I don't know if you guys you guys want to throw in any any little bits of information here before we we move on to the next one. But um, otherwise, we can press on. I guess my only comment for this one would be um, taking the extra time to look at the from domain, you know, and analyzing the like where the message is coming from and if it makes sense or not i think it's really important it takes two seconds to you know put the little drop down and check into it and you can always google domains as well if if you're not sure what an amazon email uh, should look like go to amazon.com go to contact us see what their domain is um it you know it, it takes a couple minutes to go and do that um little bit of searching just to make sure that you're safe All right, so we're going to stick with the phishing here. This is going to be the same email, just a separate section of the analysis here. Um, but what this does is it brings in a little bit more of the technical analysis that went into deciding whether or not this was phishing. Um, so on the left-hand side here, you can see we still have the same from domain. Um, obviously, sender is there as well. Um, but what we have added here is things like the SPF record, um, which is spoofing, a record for spoofing. So. Um, there was no SPF record in place. So this sender cannot send on behalf of uh, the organization it was sending on. It, it has not been given that access through configuration. Uh, no DMARC policy. SEL was set to spam. Uh, that's the spam confidence level. So it was set to be spam as we saw from Microsoft. And this was a first time sender. Um, first time sender piece of this is gonna be pretty important. Um, again, because if you don't have this, this pretty graphic in front of you to discern decide whether or not this is uh, going to be a phishing email. Um, being a first-time sender is huge. Have you ever discussed anything with this person? Um, is this the first time they're contacting you? And obviously, we have that data here. Um, but definitely something to keep in mind when you're looking to uh, decide whether or not um, something is phishing or fishy in general. Um, moving over to the right-hand side, this is just a, a quick AI overview of, of what occurred 
or a breakdown, I guess, in a graph of what we had in the security stack. So you can see the textual analysis was probably the most um, blatant piece of this message that deemed it phishing. Um, sender info, obviously, as we've been touching on this whole time, is uh, extremely off from what an Amazon domain should be. Um, the brand usage, we can't see this within the body of the email, but that's actually something that the end user would have a little bit of insight to that we don't um, as a SOC here utilizing this tool. So um, brand usage, is is there an Amazon logo on there? And is that the Amazon logo, right? Are they just throwing up PayPal, a little PayPal link that you can click on, right? Um, Amazon's not going to do that. So brand usage is something else that you can look at. Um, inside these messages before you end up clicking on anything right reputation signals we kind of touched on as well first time sender um, not a good look for them right you can't just jump into somebody's inbox and have them start clicking on stuff um, unfortunately that is how it works sometimes and then the link properties um, there was no attachment on this there was a link though and the link was uh, although not extremely fishy um, the link was not not going to get a good rep just because of the the nature of the email in the beginning so um, we'll be able to take a, a look at a link um, in a sandbox in a secure environment here in just a second but um, anybody want to add anything here the reason they're using that subject line of your amazon.com is because most email programs do not have a very large preview pane so generally if you order something from amazon and you're using a giant monitor that allows you to see way more real estate. Um, Amazon will actually come up and the title or the subject of their emails is generally your amazon.com order with the order number at yeah. the end of it. So they're taking the Advantage main of part of your amazon.com and leaving the rest of it out, hoping that you'll just overlook that because you get so many of them from Amazon. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, when it comes to fishing globally, um the end user is ultimately making that decision right we mm -hmm. there's it's it no matter how many tools you have in place um it, it doesn't make a difference because eventually one of these will make it to you um and it's just a matter of all they need is one click they get one click and they have everything they need from you pretty much yeah all right i know i touched on relationship strength a little bit here um but this is a breakdown again of what we see in the in the SOC here at BlockWorks um, to relate relationship um, between, as you can see, user to user, user to the domain, the internal domain that it's sending to, your domain, and then the two domains and how often they communicate. Um, so there's four different uh, different, I guess, I don't know what's the what's the right word types, uh, low, medium, high, and highest classifications. Uh, classifications there you go that they can give this so uh they were they're gonna go through those four classifications for each of the respective relationships um, because there is a chance that somebody within your organization utilizing that domain is talking to this person or their domain um, and so those can look a little bit different than your guys's individual um, relationship so obviously here uh, as a first-time sender you're going to have zero relationship um with the user to user so that's going to be an automatic low they've never spoken to you before um, user to domain this person uh, obviously sitting at low again um, has never spoke to anybody within within this specific domain of this uh, recipient and then domain to domain their domain does not interact uh, with with this organization specifically so um, again just just a few different ways here that we're given to 
uh, break this down and understand how many different flags there really are. Um, and again, as as an end user, that relationship strength is really just all all in your head. Um, if you don't feel comfortable or you're not sure who, who this is, um, you can always look at the body of an email um, for the most part um, without it being extremely harmful. Um, but as soon as you access the information and data given in that email, whether it is a link and attachment, et cetera, um, taking this, this relationship into consideration first, um, it would be the same as, you know, getting a package from somebody you didn't order, you don't know, right? It's sitting on your doorstep. It's a massive box. Um, and you know, you, you have no idea what's inside. Most people are going to open that. That's a little bit of naive, um, naive interaction there but um yeah for in as it relates to technology and phishing and email um it's the exact same as taking a drink out of somebody's somebody's cup right you don't know that person um and you don't know what they're about to give you so it's a good way of looking at it yeah i was about to say i really like that you put that together it makes me think of like letting someone in my house without knowing their name you want to know who you're communicating with uh, online in person yeah. uh, it, it doesn't matter uh, especially in today's day and age all right so there's this part is going to get a little bit more technical um oftentimes uh like matt was saying digging into the information finding out who that person is you know usps doesn't operate out of thailand um, this type of information is not going to just pop up in front of you right when you receive an email um, but this is some additional information that can be extremely helpful um, when trying to understand where this sender is from, where they're operating out of, um, and if they are even who they say they are just based off of that email address or domain. Um, so here we're looking at the same same email. Um, we can see that this email was sent from Reston, Virginia. Um, everything on the top left is going to be Redmond, Washington. That's Office 365. Uh, we're just using an Outlook uh, example. And so that is where that uh, last hop is going to sit. But this sender is sending from Salesforce. Um, for those of you who don't know, Salesforce is uh, very good at blasting emails. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, they they can they can send out mass emails all day long. Um, so whether or not this mail transfer agent, uh, obviously owned by Salesforce, is where you were expecting a message to come from, um, this information for for the end users who are wondering, uh, it is available. Uh, there's many public websites that you can utilize to. Uh, reverse look up somebody's email and get an IP address or um, the host name that it came from, the city that it, the IP resides in, et cetera. Um, and again, for the more technical folks who are willing to put that time in and, and go look and know where to look, um, hopefully this helps somebody um, out there take a look when they when they haven't before. But um, again, just just some additional information that we're looking at that that clearly shows, you know, this was a this is a dis, um, distribution. Um, from Salesforce, right? That's that's not, they are the actual sender, as you can see there, but they're the actual sender because the individual who was sending the email utilized them um, to send that message. So I'm um, just keeping track of of where it's actually coming from. Physical location is important as, important as well because you might actually know somebody or that email address, but maybe it's not them this time, right? Maybe, maybe they always send from rest in Virginia and all of a sudden you're getting a Fort Lauderdale message mm -hmm. um, and, and all that stuff is able to be looked up so um, just another thing to take into consideration again um, to protect yourself a little better 
this is a different email. However, um, we're looking at the same email transport chain and there's a link obviously embedded in this one as well. Um, here, there's a lot more information. This was a Gmail interaction um, and the original sender utilized Gmail um, as well as a VPN that was outside of the United States. So we're getting a ton of additional information here. Um, unfortunately, we didn't blow up the metadata from, from these different hops or uh, stops um, based on servers, but you can see Gmail is sending it up, sending the mail out. There's a VPN intercepting this that the actual sender is utilizing, uh, probably in India. No, that's not India. Is that Thailand? Tai no, Taiwan. Looks like well, Southwest okay. Asia. Yes. Um, yes. And not we'll the United that. States. <laughs> Um, and it's bouncing off that VPN, then sending itself back to the United States to be delivered uh, to Office 365. Um, so again, a lot more technical, but you can find this information. Um, there's a website called Scamalytics. Scamalytics.com, if you can locate the IP of a sender uh, where an email was, was sent from, you throw that IP in there and Scamalytics can tell you if it's utilized with an anonymizing VPN, can tell you if it's been reported for fraud, blacklisted, um, you can get a lot of information uh, just by publicly looking up um, an IP database. Um, but again, this right off the bat is just, it's blatantly fishy because this VPN is- it's Thailand. It, yeah, well, that too. Uh, but it's- Well, no, I mean, you were correct. It is It is actually Thailand. I found it. Oh. I found and a map and correlated the, the location. So there you go. So um, if obviously, if, you're, if your interactions don't leave the US very often, mm -hmm. uh, that's one flag right there. Um, and then the link, uh, everybody knows uh, Coinbase slash uh, BTC buy, that's Bitcoin buy. Um, that is the URL you're going to strictly put in the email for you to go to Coinbase and purchase crypto. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously not many organizations doing business in Bitcoin, specifically over email with a vague URL like Coinbase slash BTC buy. Um, yeah. That's, that's, one that could, that's one that could just be analyzed a little bit, right? And you see that sitting at the bottom of your email, um, even if it was a valid sender, now you know this was sent from a VPN, if you were mm -hmm. able to, to gather that information. And not only sent from a VPN um, out of Thailand, now you're looking a cryptocurrency um, purchasing page right in the face. You click on that one time and, you know, you uh, obviously a little bit of action has to go into it, but the susceptible individual is going to be delivering some some money so any added thoughts there i was typing something in one of our channels but i'm going to just ask this on here because you brought up something that we should possibly touch on yeah. and it's a lovely three-letter acronym uh, vpns so avanon we can see how amazing it is what kind of awesomeness it has. How does it handle a zero logging VPN if somebody is leveraging that when sending emails? I'm going to be completely honest. You got me. Um, and this is, uh, I, I don't I, have an answer to this because I I'm morbidly curious about this because the premise behind zero logging is you can't see where the connection originates from. So honestly, it, if, if I was speaking specifically to Scud uh, with no knowledge of the backend workings mm -hmm. of a zero logging VPN, um, as you can see, there's multiple hops on there. 
right in the event that it's not there we might be able to look up publicly and see that it's a vpn but we're not going to get the specific location out of it uh, i have never had thinking with one but i would assume that you would still be able to at least get the idea that it's a vpn you just might not see it in its lo- in its actual location um as a hop for that mail traffic. Surprisingly, the VPNs, if they are zero logging, uh, the IP addresses are pretty much well known. So it, you're right, you you should be able to see that it's a VPN. Uh, my thought is, say person does use said zero logging VPN, they say that they are connecting from, and this is an impossibility. Well, okay, it's not an impossibility. It's just really hard to do. Uh, they're connecting from Russia. Like they're setting their location as Russia, but they are actually in the United States. Now, this is something that I can honestly say I've done before for fun. Um, There were reasons behind it. Uh, But if an email was sent, I'm, I'm thinking the way this would work is it would pick up the email originated from Russia because that's the termination point of where the VPN would be. And it couldn't go any further since there's no other connection to trace back to. Yeah, so I this, mean, this it would be, be very whatever's beneficial. facing. It would be whatever's facing the client they're using for yeah. sending that email. So if they if they have that that Russian location um, facing, like you said, it's where it's terminating. Um, mm-hmm. That's ultimately if that's the output. That's what Outlook is going to see. So if you see something that's using a VPN, I would honestly put myself on high alert for that in and of itself, because you don't really know where the connection's originating from. You just know where they want you to think that it's originating from. Yep, absolutely. And sometimes like specifically now to the type of VPN that Matt's talking about, sometimes it's better to be the end user, right? If I can get mm-hmm. a hold of that IP and not see this and not see this graphic at all, um, I, I don't, I'm not going to have it in my head, right? That this VPN is here. If I can just take four digits, throw it up there and look at where it's coming from. And as long as you got yourself a, a reliable site, um, that's honestly all you really need as an end user. You don't need a pretty map. Um, you don't need it shouting at you that it's a VPN. Um, IP addresses can get you a really long way mm-hmm. in relation to fishing. So we're going to be switching gears here a little bit, um, especially going into the holiday season, because these are also red flags. Um, oftentimes, phishing and spam are intermingled, um, maybe not so much as the same thing, but uh, very much as the same action, the same threat, um, et cetera. And uh, I wouldn't say that that's 100% correct. So spam ultimately is going to come down to resource. Um, it, it really is just the overuse similar to ddos i know matt touched on that earlier spam is it's a resource utilization hindrance that's what you're getting um, from spam Uh, just mass emails that you don't need garbage um, although maybe not harmful or threatening um, by way of links or attachments uh, very much annoying and can get in the way of productivity Um, and occasionally uh, they might not be credential harvesting but they can be social engineering Um, depending Mm -hmm. on what you have interacting with that. So social engineering is not inherently dangerous, but what happens with that data once you give it to somebody um, absolutely can occur within a spam email. Um, 
So here we're looking at a few things. Uh, I'm going to start over on the security stack again because this is just specific to the tool that we're utilizing. Under the security stack, we can see here that Microsoft Defender actually would have let this go through. So spam confidence level one there uh, means scanned and allowed. Um, BCL is your bulk confidence level, more of a marketing mail style verdict. Gave it a three. So still low. These are all out of 10 um, and typically end at nine. But SEL one means Microsoft got to scan it. They were okay with it. They passed it along, although they thought it was possibly just a marketing message. Um, with that being said, Avanon grabbed this message, drug it through the SmartFish engine and deemed it full-blown spam. Um, also took consideration that Microsoft uh, believed that it was or should be allowed and was not spam. Um, and again, here we have a few additional, it's going to be a lot less technical in nature because it's not malicious. It is mm -hmm. annoying, um, for lack of better words. So um, there was a link involved. It was a link to a low traffic site, but there was nothing that they could find that was blatantly threatening again, like I said. So if we head back over to the email profile, again, everything you would see in Outlook just for the spam message type. The from is an info at. Um, and the reason I point this out is the name extremely long. The info at is a generic shared mailbox somewhere. Um, it's a mailbox that multiple people probably have access to. Um, and the domain planyourevents.com, um, it's, it's an organization, a company, somebody trying to get you to see their information that they have to provide. Now, um, when it comes to the reply to, we touched on this with phishing, um, the reply to itself is nowhere near what the actual info at user is under this domain. So it's still the same domain. That's where it's going to go back to. Um, however, it is a extremely long and obfuscated user under this domain that you would be responding to in the event that you did uh, become in communication with them, right? Decide to respond. Um, <clears throat> so again, you're going to have all the normal things you would see in an Outlook email um, or window. Uh, you got the subject line, project management for administrative professionals. Very vague. Um, not directed at you or anything you have um, an affiliation to. Um, you might be subscribed to this. However, it's, again, like I said, project management for administrative professionals. Maybe you're an administrative professional, maybe not, um, but you were a part of this group that got this shotgun spam message. Mm -hmm. uh, content type, text, again, there was a link embedded here, um, but text is going to be the largest thing that they made their decisions on along with uh, relationship. And so... Um, again, an end user can do the same thing. Take a look at that reply to drag down, like Elizabeth said, take the extra second to get the details of um, how this message actually got to you. And you would see that uh, clicking that reply button actually doesn't go back to info at. Um, <clears throat> the time the email was received, everybody can see that, obviously, just like a phishing email. Senders external, yes. Recipient external, no. Again, so that just means that outside the organization, so this was coming inbound and that was it. Um, and you were the only internal recipient. <clears throat> now with this specifically, we had a link um, from this planyourevents.com domain that could be accessed, which is why I brought up social engineering. Um, this link, um, unfortunately, was reviewed by the sandbox prior to um, being deemed spam and sent to junk, um, rightfully so. 
um, during that analyzation, there was, or analysis, um, there was the HTTP protocol that was found. Um, obviously, nowadays, uh, clicking on a URL, you want that to be secure, right? HTTPS. Um, there are a lot of holes in HTTP, um, and people are able to access a lot of data that you probably don't want them to see. Uh, utilizing that protocol, right? You can have DNS hijacking. Somebody can steal your session. They can um, log keys, uh, a number of things. And HTTP in short terms allows plain text reading of what is occurring in the request and response of a web server. Um, so HTTPS is gonna be the number one flag here uh, or the lack of use of HTTPS um, and this, this being hosted on port 80. Um, the actual URL or domain in the URL, um, luckily this tool for us goes through and gives it a uh, relationship and reputation scan. Um, this has a zero traffic, low reputation domain, which means of all the times that this has been shotgunned out or accessed, it's zero traffic. There, nobody is on this website. Um, it, it's not heavy in users. And uh, Luckily, having a little bit of that additional information here through Avanon uh, gives us that insight. Now, uh, one of the best pieces to this is finding out exactly what this end user would have received uh, had this not been remediated as spam. Um, and in doing so, we are able to utilize the URL sandbox here. Um, utilizing that, we clicked on the link and it pulled up a, a brief interactive screenshot is what we see here. And uh, as you can see, what we're all looking at here a live webinar that you can sign up for. Uh, now, being that this is spam, is it a live webinar that's actually occurring? Maybe, uh, but there's no way to there's no way to tell, right? This this link is suspicious in its own right, um, and came along with a spam message. Now, registering for this, there is no telling what happens to your information. You're probably going to need full name, phone number, email address, um, maybe where you work. Um, depending on what these administrative professionals are doing or, or what matters for this um, specific webinar. But um, the long short is there is no telling by clicking on that register now button where you would go. And uh, this, again, just giving a, a nice graphical rep representation of what a URL sandbox can do for you, similar to what Matt was doing uh, with the smishing, uh, being able to, to hover over that and preview something before you actually see it in a safe environment. Um, it's huge uh, when it comes to spam and phishing, so. I think it's important to remember that nothing is free. So you may be registering for this free event, this free webinar to learn something or, you know, get information on a product. However, if it's not a known trusted um, organization or someone that you gave your information to and you know that you should be receiving an email from uh, that corporation, you shouldn't be filling these things out, even if they're not malicious your data is for sale. So say this isn't a malicious link, you you wanna go to the webinar, you fill it all out, you're putting yourself on a list for cold calling, for more spam, and then mm -hmm. eventually probably ending up on the dark web with your information for sale or those malicious hackers and so on and so forth. So it may not start really malicious, but it can definitely get there very quickly with just putting more information out there than you need to. Absolutely. <clears throat> so going along here with the same the same message we were just looking at, 
Um, again, we have the relationship strengths. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Uh, obviously, all low email transport chain. This actually came from Salesforce as well within the US. Um, but again, not too much there for spam in way of spam. Um, now, just overall general um, red flags. Uh, Elizabeth, I don't know if you want to touch on this a little bit, but um, we can cover just what we're what we're looking at now more from a user perspective. Yeah, I think it's definitely helpful to look at it from like what an end user would see. Um, like we stated previously, just looking at the top, seeing, you know, um, if there's a sense of urgency, like what the subject line actually says, like action required or emergency, um, you know, anything that's making you want to click on it quicker is probably going to be uh, malicious um, in some sense. And of course, looking at the um, addresses, um, if you don't know the domain, look it up. It, it's okay to to search. Um, you know, I don't know how many times I've even looked up just phone numbers to see what the area code is. Why are these people contacting me? Um, emails, if if they line up with the domain, um, and go ahead and search in your recent emails to see if you have that relationship. So you may not have Scud or Avanon or any kind of email security, but you can still use your own discernment and see, have I ever emailed this person? Why are they asking me um, questions or personal information? Or why are they sending me an invoice if I've never communicated with them before? Um, obviously, looking for spelling and grammar mistakes. Um, not very many people are going to send an email with grammar mistakes, um, unless it's maybe a, a small mom and pop shop. But still, that is something to really keep an eye out on. Um, again, when it comes to links in an email, if you're not expecting it, don't click on it. If it's not HTTPS, don't click on it. Hover over, um, like the image is showing to see where it's going to take you. Um, and just be suspicious. It's it's okay to, to be scared to click on those links, especially if you're not expecting the email. There's something um, else you need to do with those links as well. This is something we didn't touch on, but there are letters on the alternative keyboard that look extremely close to the letter that it's supposed to be. Case in point, just so people are aware, US Bank is very commonly used as phishing because there is a letter A on the alternative keyboard that looks almost identical to the regular letter A when you put it into a hyperlink. All it takes is that one simple change you're not going to notice it because it looks extremely close to what's already there. But yeah, that... taking a look and being hypercritical of any link that comes in, yeah. That's a big one, especially not having, like Elizabeth was saying, when you don't have some of those tools, and I know I said it as well, um, we understand that not everybody has the ability to have this stuff sandboxed and analyzed before they receive it. Um, so when this does make it to your inbox, being like you said, hypercritical, uh, hovering over that link, that might be a lot of that might there might be a lot of people that don't know that that's a thing, right? Uh, being able to look at that and you you know you're looking at www.securitybank.net, um, when in reality what you're looking at after you click on this is www.malware.com/hack, right? And so obviously a little bit aggressive of an example, but um, when they don't match in general. And when it can't, it's called a direct link or a um, shortener, right? So you can, um, 
you can see if that's not the direct link, if you're seeing a shortener instead of what you're actually about to head to, um, pulling that shortener up just by hovering or control hovering over it before you click mm -hmm. on it, it will populate exactly what you're about to navigate to. Um, to put it in simple sense, it's kind of like if you guys have ever gone to uh, let me Google that for you and you find a website, you can actually click use short link and it takes the long link and turns it into something that's maybe about 16 characters long. Um, Bitly, um, I'm sure you yeah, have heard about you it. Go. That's a big one. Um, yes. You will see that everywhere, specifically on ads. Um, a lot of people will, will leverage Bitly to shorten the uh, URL that you're actually navigating to to get mm -hmm. to that. So. I think it's also important to note when you're on uh, social platforms, there are a lot of links um, as well. And you can also use that tactic to, to just make sure that you're clicking on what you think you're clicking on. I think that's Absolutely. a very important thing to if bring we're, up. If we're going to talk about social platforms, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. We've talked about this before. It, it does bear discussing again. Uh, if you are to click on anything on a social media platform i'm not going to say which one that starts with an m uh there is absolutely no authentication done with links that are put into promoted ads they do not scan they do not validate they do not visit they do not anything they just accept the money and say okay thank you here is your promoted ad it becomes sponsored. It becomes the top of everything. It goes to every person that you would ever want to see. If you click on that, there's a possibility you could have a phishing site. And that's the least of your worries. Bigger worries are they could have something that's even more malicious baked into that. It's not uncommon that phishing is used as just kind of a distraction while other things are dropped to your machine that you don't even know are going on you go to that website there's a possibility that it could run code and open a reverse shell to your machine that's why we're telling or that's why we're trying to emphasize you know the level of severity with phishing it's not simply just stealing grandma's you know username and password anymore it it's a whole bunch of they could get access to really anything with the advent of work from home get access to a home computer and then jump to another machine via lateral movement. It's easier to get into a computer remoting to exactly. It's easier to get into somebody else's machine. If you're using an already weakened system, like a home machine that has, you know, less than stellar defenses on it. So be very, very careful. I'm not trying to scare anybody. This isn't the gloom and doom hour that I usually bring up, but this is something that, is becoming worse and worse. If you look at the amount of attacks that are going on on a daily basis with people that are getting uh, ransomed, breached, etc. cetera, uh, I'll give you guys a heads up. Did you know that, that a certain bank um, that operates of America was breached not very long ago, like probably less than 24 hours ago with over 500,000 records stolen and available on the dark web right now? We were talking about user information becoming available and you being an easy target. There you go. They've got they everything right there. They didn't have right to there. interact with you. Nope. No, didn't have no, to they have your you personal information. Yeah, so I think now that's... you're going to get all kinds of stuff. Your email address is in there. Your, your uh, first and last name, your address. 
hell, your social security is in there. I think that's Thanks what really that. makes um, having this in user education um, really important. Just even for yourself, like if you're just an individual scrolling and happen to come upon this video or podcast, you don't have to be in cybersecurity or, or have an, even an interest in cybersecurity. Um, this, this should be, you know, helpful for anyone and everyone who is on the internet, which should, nowadays is everyone. So I, I that, feel like this is very helpful information for. That was your goal. Your, your, yeah. The initial goal of setting up this entire thing was make cybersecurity approachable to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe, you know, the topics that you're coming up with, Elizabeth, spot on. Like, well, it's definitely a team effort. <laughs> Well, speaking of those without, um, you know, security backgrounds or even security services, um, what uh, I guess these examples that we showed today obviously would land in your your email box. You would mm -hmm. get these emails. There's no kind of protection in place. What would you recommend? Um, I guess we've kind of hit all these, but would you kindly go through a list of what you would recommend someone doing as they're opening an email, um, like a step by step? to check first what to do next and so on and so forth before clicking on a link or doing anything further for emails that are in their in, uh, inbox well yeah. in your inbox if you open up one of the emails first things first you're going to have what you have up there you're going to have the user that sent it to you you can click on that and you can actually bring up the information about who it's from you can see if they sent it to any other additional parties. If you see that, you know, it came from somebody and you see you and 457 other recipients, there's a pretty good chance that you don't really need to interact with that email unless you have major FOMO. And then, I mean, I can't help you there, but that's, that's a dead giveaway that it was not directed to you. It was directed as what Tanner called. That's a shotgun blast. They're sending that out to everybody they possibly can, hoping that somebody is going to click on it. Absolutely. I think my focus would be on links. And honestly, I, with links, I want to tie into um, files as well, because that's mm. something Matt touched on at the very end. Um, but links are extremely dangerous in the way of phishing. But when somebody's trying to deliver you malware, like he said, th these links and files, they can act without you touching them. They can act without any interaction. Um, completely remote, all by themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and all you need to do is open it. And um, and sometimes not even open it um, in, in your example. But um, I would say links, just, just double checking, making sure you, you shouldn't be fearful of links uh, by any means, especially if you're going through um, all of these steps. If you've already validated the sender, you know you were expecting an email from them. You wanted, you were expecting this link, right? Um, obviously there's, there's not too much more you need to look into aside from that, um, being able to just put that additional effort into where am I headed? Is this actually where I'm headed or what is this file? Is this what I was expecting? Do I normally receive this file type? That's mm -hmm. a big one. A lot of times, you know, these aren't, I mean, they can be sent as EXEs, right? But, um. I mean, if you've never seen a, a specific file type before, what are you getting that now for, right? Um, why why would you open something that's compressed in a, in a, uh, that you have to open up in like a, I don't even know how to explain it. WinZip, um, WinRAR. Yeah, something that zip. you have to actually go in and 
unfold unpackage to get to right um, not that those are inherently dangerous but if you're not if you don't receive those uh, maybe that's not something you need to be going through and so pdfs uh, are also a good one I will yeah. very, say... very rarely do you find companies that will just send you a pdf file and the pdfs used to be deemed inherently safe that mm -hmm. is not the case anymore not with the uh, embedded coding that you can use in them though I will say also never um, enable macros right away, especially if you're not expecting a mm -hmm. document with macros. <laughs> Microsoft so. was nice enough to go through and make a change to where macros are disabled by default now. Okay. Uh, but there are a bunch of people that have gone in and via their corporate policies have enabled those macros via group policy. At least um, keep it on so you have yeah. to push OK so you know that something is running. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's just a good idea. Even if you're expecting these type of documents, it takes two seconds to enable it or allow the macros to run. Just so you know, if, if something is going on, um, you, being you aware. You touched on the important thing right there. Verify. If you get an email from somebody and it's, you know, commonly they're going to try to go after uh, people that you know. They're going to use somebody else's address book to send to all of those addresses in hopes that they can get somebody to click on it because it's somebody they know. If you get something that just seems really out there, like this person doesn't normally send you links. They don't send you ads, offers, etc. cetera. Uh, it's very simple to reach out and ask the person, Hey, did you send me an email that has this in there? If you don't get a response back from them or they say what email, the response that you say is, I believe that your email potentially has been breached. You need to go in and change your password. And then also do not click on anything that they sent you. And leveraging IT administrators. I know that's it's mm -hmm. kind of an overstated statement, but um, in the event that you can't verify or don't know what you're looking for, um, you know, this isn't something you can just learn overnight, um, unfortunately. Get with somebody who knows. Um, especially if it's in a professional environment, it's a little harder to do in a personal environment, but um, I mean, do your best to verify in, in those kinds of environments, but really where a lot of this important data outside of just your personal information is, is being uh, sent and, and utilized in communications is business. Um, get with somebody who's assigned to that and, and let them make the decision um, for you. And yeah, there's, like I said, that's probably an overused statement, but really leverage your administrators to to make that decision and and help you with their expertise. It's interesting how that shift actually happened. Before all of this phishing used to be, you know, personal accounts and everything else that they were trying to, you know, get you to click on and steal your info. Now it's shifted to where they're basically trying to just do this in enterprises because they because found the that work. well, that in target rich environment. Enterprises are going to have more of the form of resources. They're going to have more, well, just money overall than most individuals are going to have. So if they're going to risk, you know, getting in trouble for something, may as well risk it for something that's much larger than a piggy bank. Absolutely. I completely agree. Well, to close the stream, uh, I want to thank you both for your wonderful insights and for taking the time to be here. Um, if you are interested in knowing more about BlockWorks Guide services, please feel free to comment or navigate to blockworks.com and fill out the contact us form. We would love to discuss this further with you and answer any questions you might have. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you all for joining the discussion. Remember to stay frosty and uh, keep an eye out on your emails. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>